Today we are in part four of our message series called Messy. And I'm curious, by a raise of hands, how many of you have enjoyed this message series so far? All right, like two? Oh, more than that. All right, that's good. So, well, if you miss any part of it, uh, I highly recommend that you check it out on our website or also on our YouTube channel as well. Now, in this series, we've been exploring what God does when our lives get messy. And so for some of us, we think that God will just pull away or that he will just abandon us, uh, that he doesn't want anything to do with us. And what we've been learning during this series is this theme passage that tells us what God thinks about our messes and about us. And then we've been looking at different aspects of how Jesus interacted with people and how he interacts with us as well. And so this is kind of our theme passage that we've been going through. It's Romans 6, 5 through 8. When we were, and what's those two words? utterly helpless, basically a mess. Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. Now, most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who is especially good. But God showed his great, what's that word? Love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. And so, um, what we find out is that when we made a mess of the world, that God steps into our mess. And when we make messes today, that God still steps into our messes. Now, Trent, uh, during this series, has been sharing uh, some of his messy stories, and he usually kicks it off uh, with a messy story. And last week, he did a poop story, and I've got one too, So um, because he's a pretty messy guy, right? Yeah, isn't he? So anyways... Um, so I have four kids, and um, if you do the math, you know, that is pretty much, we were in like diaper duty mode for like 10 years, a decade, okay? Kid you not. And uh, Sarah, my wife, she had all four of our kids uh, by C-section. So that means I got like, you know, in the diapers like right away, okay? And so uh, after our first child was born, uh, about two weeks uh, into it, um, I go downstairs and uh, I see our little one and uh, she's adorable. And uh, I also see that amazing line that turns blue to let you know that, you know, something has been done. And so, so I take her over to the pack and play and it's got that like attachment that, you know, uh, diaper changing station and everything. And so I start to change her. It's just a wet one. And so I'm like, good job, you know, all right, great. And so, um, so I start to lift her up by her little, you know, feet and everything. Now I'm obviously in the line of fire because of this pack and play. Okay. So big problem, big mistake right away. And so all of a sudden, I don't know if you could repeat this. Okay. And so as I start to like pull up on her little feet to like get her bottom, because because, you know, it might be wet and everything. Like at that moment, it was like a cannon went off and it just like half of it went on me. And I kid you not, like half of it went four feet. Okay. I have a witness four feet. And so when that happened, all of a sudden I just jump and I yell crap. And that's the word I used. Okay. <laughs> I kid you not. My mother-in-law was there. She can testify to it because she came in and what does she do? She just starts laughing. Okay. She just starts laughing. I start laughing and everything. And uh, who knew a two week old could like make such a mess, you know? I mean, especially four feet. It was like bazooka buns, you know? So anyways, doesn't that represent that we have so many messes 
in our lives. And uh, as we've been learning, some of our messes are uh, messes that we create. And some of the messes uh, are what other people create as well. And today we're going to look at a different aspect of the messes that are in our lives. And uh, this mess is kind of a little harder to understand uh, because it's underneath. It's what lies just below the surface of our lives. And they often only come out as we kind of go up against the storms of life. And we get this. When the storms of life kind of come and happen with us, um, it often brings up something in our past. And so um, maybe uh, as soon as that storm of life comes, all of a sudden we start dwelling upon something that's just a memory that gets triggered. And it's something that s- happened in the past. It's something that someone did to us and it deeply hurt us. And the way that we try to handle it is by simply uh, maybe responding with fear or we respond with anger because we try to control the mess uh, of our past. Or for others of us, uh, maybe we're currently in a storm at this point. And when that storm of life happens, uh, maybe it's just so overwhelming or it's just so taxing that we don't know where to turn. And so maybe there's a health crisis that's going on and we just don't know what to do. Or sometimes our marriages are on pins and needles and are we gonna be able to make it through this? Or sometimes uh, maybe there's a rebellious child in our family and it's tearing the family apart and we don't know what to do, but we know that there's fear and we want to get away from it. So sometimes we just turn to something or we turn to someone else or we just try to escape it. Or sometimes as we start to go into the storms, uh, we start to ask the what if questions. You know, the questions of what if, you know, the doctor finds something? What if it's cancer? What if uh, they can't do something about it? Or what if my husband or my wife loses their job? What if we can't make the car payment? What if we can't um, keep our house? And so all of a sudden, all these what if questions come and they hold us hostage as we begin to worry and have anxiety in our lives. And we try to come up with all the answers to these what if questions to try to control them. But we find out that we're just consumed instead. And we keep on coming up with the what if questions. And so these are the messes that come up as life takes a pounding on us. When the storms of life come, like they're brutal, they're devastating. But then when we look underneath and what comes up through these storms is a mess that sometimes we're not prepared for. And we get this, like if you are not a Christ follower, like, or you are a Christ follower, we all go through or we all have messes. Or sometimes if you don't believe in God or if you do believe in God, like we want to remain in control and we try to handle these messes. But then another storm of life comes and we don't know what to do with them. And so today we're going to look at how God can respond to our storms of life. We're going to see what he has to offer and how he wants to help us with the things that lie just beneath the surface of our lives. And today we're going to look how he addressed his disciples who had some of their own messes as well and how he wants to also handle our messes. 
And so today, if you would, we're gonna turn to a very well-known passage of scripture. Go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 14, verse 22. And uh, as you turn there, uh, I always want you to understand that you could, if you don't have a Bible, uh, please grab one from the back as our free gift to you. And then also download the uh, YouVersion Bible app as well. Uh, it is a great tool to be able to read scripture, to be able to study it, to be able to understand it and everything, and it's free that you can download on your phone. But go ahead and turn to Matthew 14, 22. It's always good to turn to it for yourself, to see it with your own eyes, and I'll give you a moment to get there. Now, let me set the scene for us, okay? Uh, Jesus was near Bethsaida, which was on the northeast part of the Sea of Galilee, so somewhere right up in this area. And uh, he is about to perform, or he has just performed one of the greatest miracles uh, that's recorded in scripture. And after this event, he says to the disciples, hey, let's go. And they're gonna go on down here just below Capernaum. And so a long distance to travel uh, that night. Now, <clears throat> here's the miracle that had just taken place, okay? Jesus took five loaves of bread and two fish and he multiplies it for a crowd. And Matthew, who writes this, uh, was there. He's a tax collector and he's a good counter. And so he counted up the 5,000 men that were in the crowd. And most likely with all those men were women and children as well. So some people think there were 10 to 15,000 people that were there that witnessed this miracle. Uh, some people put it up near 20,000. So now when you feed like 10 to 15,000 hung, hungry people, that's something that you just can't pull one over on, okay? And so word just begins to spread and spread about who is this Jesus. Now, you would think that uh, his closest followers, the 12 disciples, that they would get this. Like, they've been with him enough and they would be like, man, he must be God in the flesh, but they didn't. And so Jesus uh, deliberately directs his disciples to get into a boat and puts them in danger of a storm. You heard me correct. Now, we're going to unpack this because this is what you need to know up front. This is what we're going to spend the rest of our time knowing. If there's one thing that you should know today, it's this, okay? Our security is never based upon our circumstances, but knowing that he will never leave us nor forsake us. Let me say that again. Our security is never based upon our circumstances, but in knowing that he will never leave us nor forsake us. That's what God wants you to know. And that's what he wanted his disciples to know as well. And he did it in such a way that was so real and so personal to them. So let's find out. So let's begin and see how Jesus begins to address the messes that lie just beneath the surface. So starting in Matthew 14, 22. Immediately after this, Jesus insisted that his disciples get back into the boat and cross to the other side of the lake while he sent the people home. So there are two things going on here that we've got to understand. The first is that Jesus sent the disciples away uh, to ponder what they've just seen. Like, it's like a warm-up. Um, who is Jesus? You know, they've been following him. Like, who is he? And who could do such an amazing miracle? Only God himself could do that. And then the second thing that was happening was this crowd, after seeing this amazing miracle, they were ready to make him king on the spot. Like word is spreading. It's like, where did this food come? No one had food. And who has all this food to be able to feed 10 to 15,000 people? Where did this food come? And so they were ready to make him king. 
But the problem was they were ready to make him king to defeat the Romans who had oppressed them. They weren't looking to make him king to follow him as God. And so Jesus protects the disciples as well and sends them off from this crowd who had wrong intentions. So continuing in verse 23, after sending them home, the crowds, Jesus went up into the hills by himself to pray. Night fell while he was there alone. Meanwhile, the disciples were in trouble far away from land for a strong wind had risen and they were fighting heavy waves. So picture this, okay? The disciples have left. They're about three miles off the coast. A fierce wind kicks up. There's, uh, half of them are fishermen. They know, uh-oh, we're in trouble, and it's brutal. And Peter, who was like a fisherman, who was a head like over a fleet of fishermen, um, he re- had this recorded in his gospel, gospel of Mark. And so this is what he said. They were in serious trouble rowing hard and struggling against the wind and waves. So basically we've got this fisherman saying, hey, we're in trouble, all right? We've got fear, we've got like doubt. There is this fierce storm. I'm sure the boat is filling up with water and everyone has these what if questions going on in their minds, especially Matthew who's writing this because he gives us the most detailed account of this from the gospels. And so, um, you know, because Matthew, if there's a guy who's like the doubter or kind of like the warrior actually, it's him. If there's a guy who's like asking all the what if questions, it's probably the tax collector, you know? And so he's probably asking questions like, you know what? Hey, what if we had stayed the night like we told Jesus? I mean, come on, you know? Like, did he really want us to get in the boat? Hey, what if Jesus doesn't know what he's doing? Like, he, he's obviously got down with bread and fish, okay? I was doing the counting and it started with five and uh, two fish and whoa, oh my goodness, look at all the food that was left over and we fed all those people. That does not add up, but I'm still trying to figure out that one. And so he's asking all of his what if questions. And then, hey, you know what? I, I don't like water and I know we're three miles away from shore because I can't swim. And so what happens if the boat goes down, you know? And then, hey, what if, you know, like we have to lighten the boat? Who's the first guy they're gonna throw over? It's the tax collector, okay? And so I'm sure Matthew has all these what if questions going on in his mind and he is wearing himself out. But we get this, right? You know, how many of you, be honest, are the what if warriors in the crowd? Yeah, thank you, thank you, thank you for pointing to the person next to you as well. I get it, you know, I'm that person. I'm the what if warrior, okay? Now, as many of you know, I had a lot of health issues over the uh, almost two years and uh, we've resolved them and I'm on the other side of those things and so thankful uh, that I am. But back in October, um, we had discovered that my thyroid was like off the chart, like not working, okay? And um, at that time, um, unexpectedly, very unexpectedly, my mother passed away. And when I went to be with my dad, uh, at first, I mean, we thought she was going to be all right and everything, and then a turn for the worse. Uh, and so as I'm in the hospital that night that she died, I'm starting to go, whew, like, God, I don't know if I can handle all this stuff. And there were a lot of different factors going on that night as well. And uh, all the what-if questions started circling in my head. And also the nurse goes, hey, are you doing all right? And I'm like, I don't think I am. And she's like, yeah, you don't look like you're doing well. She's like, do you need to go to the ER? I'm like, you know what? I think that would be the right call right now. I am not feeling good. 
And so as I'm going down to the ER, like, I feel like I'm having a heart attack. And uh, when we get down there, it's, like, crowded. Like, there's 30 people, and they're trying to, like, take my information, and I'm feeling worse and worse and worse. All of a sudden, this nurse comes out of the door, and she looks at me, and I must have not looked really good because she's like, get this guy back here. And so they start to stroll me through the door, and they go, get the stroke unit, get the stroke unit. Now, when you've got a what-if guy, that is the last thing. That is the last thing that you want to hear, okay? So they get me back there. They do a bunch of things, and uh, I'm calming down, and they go, Mr. Jones, have you ever had a panic attack? I'm like, what? That's what that was? Yeah. No. And I said, I never want to have one again. It was horrible. It felt like I was having a heart attack. They thought I was having a stroke. Now, when I went through that, I started going, hmm, why did I respond like that? What happened? And so I've been talking to God, and I've been processing through those things. And what he's really uncovered over these last two years is that the way that I handle the storms of life is through worry and the what-if questions versus turning to him and trusting him. Like my first inclination is not to trust. And so as I've been processing that and he's been addressing that, I am so thankful that he's taken me through so many storms to surface that mess. And I can tell you without going into all the details that I have found that he is good. And he's good. And that's what I hope that you find today as well as we go through this story. So let's continue. So where's Jesus at, you know? These guys are out in the boat, so let's find out. They're struggling in the storms. They're asking their what-if questions. They're fearing for their lives. And so verse 23, after sending them home, the crowds, Jesus went up into the hills by himself to pray. Night fell while he was there alone. Did we read that right? Yep, that's the real thing. All right, Jesus was praying. Did he leave them out to hang and dry? Nope. He didn't, okay? And in Mark 6, 48, we learn that Jesus saw them uh, here. He saw them that they were in serious trouble from his position on the hill, rowing hard and struggling against the wind and the waves. So the disciples, they're, they're not on their own. Jesus is watching over them. And he knows that they are struggling. And he knows their needs. And he's gonna meet their needs but not quite yet. And we know this of what Jesus thinks about us as well. In Hebrews 7.25, we learn that Jesus lives forever to intercede with God on their behalf. That means when you are not praying for yourself, Jesus is praying for you. He's praying for you. You ask yourself like, hey, am I supposed to be praying all the time? We try. But guess who's praying for you all the time? It's Jesus. And so that night he was praying for his disciples because they weren't praying. And uh, when he was praying, he was praying that their faith would not fail. And he's praying that your faith would not fail. He knows that there are storms in life and that they'll keep coming. 
And so what else was he praying that night? He was also praying not only for the disciples, but Peter specifically. And we know that he prayed for Peter often because often Peter failed, and we know that. And when we look in Luke 22, 31, we kind of see some of the themes that Jesus prayed for Peter. And here's what he prayed. Uh, he used to go by Simon. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you, each of you like wheat. But I have pleaded in prayer for you, Simon, that your faith should not fail. So when you have repented and turned to me again, strengthen your brothers. See, Peter was a guy who was like this self-made guy and he was working hard all the time and he was driven, but he was always like had to be in control. And we don't know what went on in his past, but obviously there was something that was in his past that he felt like he needed to be in control all the time. And when he wasn't in control, he would often respond with anger. And so when something horrible happens to us in the past, often we do explode with anger. And when those things come up and the mess comes up, um, we are often seeing that it's like a memory that's been triggered that we can't stop and it plays over and over again. And we often either live in fear or we try to control it through anger or control the situation. Now, one time I was working with a guy and he doesn't mind me sharing this because he shared this from this very stage. And uh, he loves for me to share this uh, because he wants others to get the help that they need as well. And so one time he came to me and he said, Tim, I've got a real anger issue. And so as we started to meet and go through several sessions, it was real apparent that as he was growing up, he had a father uh, who verbally abused him and physically abused him way beyond just elementary age uh, scenario. And uh, as we started to process through that, um, Jesus tapped on him and said, you know what, ultimately, if you really want to get past this, you're going to need to forgive your father without him even asking you to forgive him. You're going to need to forgive him. Now, after a few more sessions, because that was a process that was super hard for him, he wrote down every single thing that his father had ever done to him, and eventually he went line by line and said that he forgave him for each of those things, that no longer the debt was owed. And after that, when the storms of life came, because they always come, instead of responding with anger, he started to respond in love. And a couple years after that, his father went through a tremendous storm. And how did he respond? How did his son respond? He was the first to run in with love and compassion for his father. It was a beautiful sight. It was something that only God could do. And today, he doesn't live with that mess that's underneath the surface. It's not there. When he's tempted to replay the tape, he can put pause because he can say, I have forgiven my father. And I no longer, or he no longer has a debt against me. And so it was amazing. And so he took the invitation from Jesus to go through the storm of forgiveness because that's hard. And many of us know that. But he took those steps and he found freedom. So don't answer this question out loud, but what's underneath the surface of your life? Is it fear? Is it anger? Is it control? What is it 
that grips you. You know what that is. And Jesus is asking you today to step out on water, to trust him with that. And we're going to see how he does that. So would you consider stepping out of the boat of your fear, of your worry, of your anger, and take Jesus' hand? So let's continue. Picking up in verse 25, about 3 o'clock in the morning. 3 o'clock? Man, that's early. Jesus came toward them. Jesus, you're now showing up. Come on. It's 3 a.m. And he's walking on water. So why did it take so long for Jesus to come? I mean, where is the guy? Well, the same reason that every single good and loving and wise parent doesn't rush in to clear the obstacles for their children. If we did, how would they ever, ever be able to handle the bumps and bruises of this life? How would they ever be able to work with difficult people? How would they ever learn from the consequences of their mistakes or their sins? Jesus knew the right timing, and it was 3 a.m., and that's when he came. Verse 26, when the disciples saw him walking on water, they were terrified. In their fear, they cried out, it's a ghost. <laughs> Isn't that interesting that they didn't recognize Jesus? I mean, they've been with him for a long time, you know, but we get this, you know, in our present circumstances, when things are so overwhelming and we are being taxed so much, like we understand that we don't know where to turn. And often we ask the questions of like, where is God? Does he even really care rather than turning to him. Because can God really work? Can he really do something about this in my life? Well, let's see what Jesus can do. And this is big, all right? This is so important. Don't miss this. Verse 27. But Jesus spoke to them at once. Don't be afraid, he said. Take courage, I am here. Now, who is this? I mean, imagine, this is the storm of a lifetime. Here's this, all these guys are afraid. They're ready to throw the tax collector overboard, okay? And so here comes Jesus walking on water and he comes near the boat and he tells them in a calm and direct voice, don't be afraid, take courage, I am here. Now, some of you, if we heard what you're going through right now, our jaws would drop. Some of you are going through a storm right now, a storm that is so overwhelming and so taxing. Some of you are going through some major health issues, and Jesus is saying to you, don't be afraid. Take courage. I am here. I am in control. Some of you are going through some marriage issues. Don't be afraid. Take courage. I am here. Some of you are going through some financial difficulties. You lost a job, and Jesus is saying to you, don't be afraid. Take courage. I am here, and I am in control. And when we call out to him, he will respond, and we will experience that he is in control. And we see that. Watch this, okay? Watch how Peter displays this for us. 
He's got the right idea. He calls out. That's the first step. He calls out to the Lord in the storm. Verse 28, then Peter called to him, Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come walking on the water. It's like, Peter, man, you've got it. Great job. In the storm, you're calling out to him. And so Jesus responds, yes, come. So Peter went over the side of the boat, and let's read this together, and he walked on the water. Let's say that again. He That's what he experienced when he trusted him. He experienced Jesus' presence in the moment, in his current circumstances. Peter was rowing hard. He was bailing water. He was tempted to throw the tax collector out of the boat, I'm sure. And he finally calls out to the Lord. And the Lord says, come. Unfortunately, it was temporary, all right? Some of you know the story. Verse 30, but when he saw the strong wind and the waves, he was terrified and began to sink. It's like, Peter, oh, you had it. Now you don't, you know? Keep your eyes on him. But he didn't. Save me, Lord, he shouted. And Jesus immediately reached out and grabbed him. And he said to him, you have so little faith, Jesus said. Why did you doubt me? Now, it's a great faith for Peter to walk on water. And he demonstrated great faith, and then it went to little faith, okay? And why did Jesus tell Peter that he had little faith? I think Peter was about halfway in the water, and when he reached out his hand to Peter, I think he said in the moment those words because I think he wanted to make a point with Peter. And then he did something amazing. Some of you are so stuck in your past or so stuck in your mess and you think like you've failed too many times and that God won't respond. But God always responds. He never grows tired. He's always praying for you. It never gets old. He always wants to rescue you. And when you call out, he will rescue you. He will do something new in your life. And watch what he does in Peter's life. All of a sudden, when Jesus extended his hand, Peter took it, and guess what? Took him out, and they were walking on water back to the boat together to get back in the boat. Because God never leaves us behind. He's always faithful, always faithful. He's always looking out for your good. He's a good God. So this was like a major lesson for Peter. It was like, Peter, man, did you get it? And guess what? He did. And this is so cool. This is so cool how Peter got this. So later on, after Jesus dies, okay, and comes back to life from the dead, and hundreds of people saw him, and then he goes back to heaven, Peter is like bold. He is like, I get it. I'm all in and I'm following Jesus and I'm telling everybody about Jesus. So his first opportunity to tell people about Jesus was to thousands of people, okay? And not only was it to thousands of people, but he told the people who had, were responsible for putting Jesus to death. And he didn't do it out of anger. He did it out of compassion and out of love. Something had changed in Peter. 
And Peter memorizes this portion of scripture and he quotes it and everyone would be familiar with it and linked it to the Messiah. But I think Peter memorized this portion of scripture that was uh, predicted of the Messiah 100 years uh, prior to that, hundreds and hundreds of years prior to that for himself, for what he learned as he walked on water. And when you read this, put yourself as if you were Peter saying these things. And it makes so much sense. And this is so cool. So uh, in Acts chapter 2, 25, he quotes King David. King David said this about Jesus. I see the Lord is always with me. I will not be shaken, for he is right beside me, walking on water. No wonder my heart is glad and my tongue shouts his praises. My body rests in hope for you will not leave my soul among the dead or allow your Holy One, Jesus, to rot in the grave. Then leave Peter behind. You have shown me the way of life and you will fill me with the joy of your presence. And Peter learned a major lesson and he memorized the truth of scripture. And when God reveals some truth to you to deal with your mess, you need to memorize the words of God. And every time that storm comes, he'll bring to mind those words when you met him, that he is with you, that he is beside you. Because Peter walked on water, okay? He walked on water. And Jesus never gave up on Peter no matter how many times he failed. And Peter saw Jesus die. And Peter saw Jesus come back to life from the dead. And Peter went boldly into the storm with those who had killed Jesus. And he could have faced death himself, but he went in there because Jesus was beside him. And he knew that. And Jesus answered when he called out. And Jesus will answer you when you call out to him. That's what he wants to do. And he will bring you through the storm to the other side. He'll bring you through those storms to the other side because that's how he wraps this up. Let's see how Jesus, what he did with the storm and the mess the disciples found themselves in. Verse 32, when they climbed back into the boat, the wind stopped because Jesus is stronger than our storms. Jesus is stronger than the mess that you are in. That's who he is. And he wants you to trust him with the mess that is underneath the surface of all of our lives. So what do we do with that? Where are you at today? Are you heading into a storm? Are you in the midst of a storm right now? Are you coming out of a storm? What is it that lies beneath the surface of your life? Is it something from the past that continues to plague you? Is it something that uh, you're currently facing and you're so overwhelmed in life and you don't know what to do and you've turned to something or you've turned to someone instead? Is there the questions of what if that continues? As you start to go into a storm, are you starting to get, work yourself up so much with worry and anxiety because of the what ifs instead of turning to him. See, we've got a savior who is calling you out of the boat to walk on water with him. He is in control. His hands 
are your hands. He has you in his hands. His hands perform miracles. His hands healed many. His hands went to the cross. He put death to death with his hands and hundreds and hundreds of people saw his scarred hands when he came back to life from the dead. So what is stopping you from calling out to him in your storm? And every time a storm comes, why don't you go to him in the first place? He wants you to trust him. He will bring you through your storms to the other side because he is here. He is beside you. And that's what he wants to do. And he will never leave you nor forsake you. And so today we're going to close in a time of prayer. And we're also going to close with the song that just really sums up what we should feel about God. And today it's kind of our response to him. But we're going to kind of carve out this time of prayer. And so if you are wrestling with something in your past and it's someone, it's time to forgive. I know that's hard. I've worked with a lot of people. You're not letting them off the hook, okay? But you're canceling their debt so that you can be freed up for the present and for the future. You let God be the God who is a judge. He will bring judgment, okay? That's not our duty. And then for some of you who are currently going through some circumstances that are overwhelming, it's time to cry out for help and turn to him instead of those things that have happened in your life or that someone instead or just escaping into something. And then for some of you, it's time to stop asking the what-if questions. With your worry, it's time to give it to the Lord and say, you're in control. But it's also time to go back and ask for forgiveness for all the times that you have tried to take control with your what-if questions and worried. So that you recognize it. That you recognize that we've done wrong. Confess that to him. And so let's go ahead and bow our heads and carve out some time to talk to him. And I'll lead us through this time. So Father, thank you so much today. Thank you for stepping into our messes. Thank you for not leaving us alone, that you have never abandoned us. Jesus, thank you for praying for us right now. So right now, there are some people who need to deal with their past. And I know it's hard, but may they take the first step to begin to forgive. And I know that they might have to write down all these things later on and go line by line and forgive. But God, you will be with them. You will be beside them. And it will be good. It will be good to get rid of the fear, to get rid of the anger that plagues our life. Father, others of uh, those who are here are dealing with some major, major storms. They're in a storm. They don't know which way to turn. May they stop rowing. May they stop fighting the storm. And would they call out to you for help? And so may they do that now. 
And may they ask for forgiveness for not turning to you sooner. For others of you, you've been asking the what if questions. And if there's something that pops in your mind where you've been asking the what if questions and worrying, just ask them to forgive you. And you may need to write a list like I did, going back and all the times I've worried and ask for forgiveness. Father, thank you for never leaving us alone, for bringing us out of our messes so that we experience your freedom to get to the other side and to help others. So thank you for doing a great work. And now we are ready to sing to you. And thank you for revealing these things to us. In Jesus' name, amen.